Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. I'm sitting here with returning guest, Melissa Ryan. Uh, Melissa, you were on before talking about relationships and then about pregnancy, and now we're doing childbirth. So we're getting like the whole arc with you. Yes, yes. It's a continuation, so to speak, a part two of, uh, you know, something that happens all over the world, but, uh, you know, a deeper dive, so to speak, into it. Yeah. And I always love talking to you because I think you're really open with your personal life and you bring in your expertise as a psychotherapist, writing couples counselor, where it's you're not only, which it must be weird, right? And I can't wait till I'm in this place of like, not only do you study it, you're also going through it, right? Um, what is that like to kind of be on both sides of the table? Uh, sometimes it's weird. Initially, it was challenging for me because um, I had a hard time figuring out how to bring in self-love counselor, like bring in the reality of the life I'm living within the context of the work. I was so concerned about hijacking the uh, space for clients that I wouldn't share hardly anything about myself. Um, and I feel like as I've gotten more comfortable with finding that space and getting supervision on it, I'm more able to just be myself, which feels really true because I am um, an open person about my life. Uh, I had a friend that I was like, Oh, you know, Brene Brown has a saying, if, if, if you've ever shared, you, you, you probably overshared. And I was like, Oh, that feels true to me. (laughs) And, and so sometimes I can get self-conscious about that within the context of my personal life. And then I've had some friends say, well, your ability to just share your experience and be very authentic and vulnerable actually encourages me to be that way. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I've tried to figure out how to, to bring that way of being into my clinical work in a way that doesn't, um, take away from the client experience, but more enhances it and makes it out to be like, Hey, I'm a human in this struggle too. And I'm just trying to pass on not only what is evidence-based, uh, what I've seen work with other clients, but also like I'm on this journey and I see that it works for myself in my own relationships. And I don't think humans are as different as we often think we are. There's a lot of universal themes and um, strategies of, inter- you know, with uh, facing different developmental stages, like becoming a parent. Um, that are universally helpful for a lot of people, not just myself. So yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. I think I've gotten better at like bringing who I am into the clinical room. Whereas before I would like not share anything. Now I like, I think I'm just more how I am in every other setting, which feels more uh, integrated. 
Yeah, I think I went on a very similar journey, right? Like now I just share whatever because I think I would really burn out if I was being this kind of robot therapist, right? Or like perfect therapist or whatever, right? Like I don't, that's not really who I am. Um, I need to kind of just be more of myself. And I think clients, I think, well, I think at a specific developmental level, they really need that. I think early on they don't because they're often in their own trauma and they just need a lot of attention. But as the relationship matures, they're like, hey, like, who, who's this person? <laughs> like, who's this person I've been talking to like a week, you know, once a week for like years, right? I mean, it's like a pretty yeah. intense relationship. And I think the the human to human stuff is pretty critical. Um, but yeah, so let, let's just dive into your story, right? Tell me about your journey of becoming a new parent. Yes, <laughs> it was. I've been reflecting on uh, what that was like. And so, you know, when I last interviewed with you on this podcast, I was talking about my journey with miscarriage. And at the time, I, I believe I was seven or eight months pregnant. So I was quite pregnant. And I had this vision of like how things were going to transpire. I had received this feedback from my midwife who had said, you know, your journey to pregnancy and the birth really lay the foundation for you as a parent. So I was like, oh, well, that's helpful. I'm going to really... No, no pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to really be mindful of that and be very intentional. So, you know, I, I did a lot of like, me and my partner worked together as a team to like reflect on our own childhoods and what we wanted to take forward and what we wanted to change. Um, we, I read a lot. I talked with a lot of different of um, my like healer support network of counseling. I have great massage therapists. I got a doula. Like I put together this awesome care team. And so I was going into birth, like we got this, we did some like ceremony and, and ritual to kind of like ground us in the experience, like the night, I went into labor um, and I was like, this is going to be so good. Like we're so dialed. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a magical <laughs> moment. It's going to be so good. It's going to be like, I was telling people, I just want an ecstatic birth, you know, I had this vision. Mm -hmm. um, of course, reality is there to teach us lessons. <laughs> and and uh, I learned a really good one that uh, be aware of your expectations, which I knew, knew is a lesson I've learned because uh, I had gotten really attached to this vision and what materialized and my vision were not the same, quite a large delta. Um, and so that kind of introduction into parenthood, I'll summarize because there's a lot that happened in, and just to not spend too much time on those details. Um, my labor was 60 hours. Um, that's a huge thing. Yeah. I had back labor, um, pretty much the whole time, which just means, I mean, this is why my labor was so long. My son was facing my belly button instead of facing my back. And so, um, that's the goal is it, it's just how the birth canal is designed is for the baby to be facing that way. So he's head down, but he was facing my belly button. So his head was like right on my spine pretty much the whole time. And then when I would have a, um, a contraction, it's just pressing more into, uh, the lower part of my spine, which is intense. Yeah. Um, and I had wanted to give birth at this birth center that I loved and I loved my midwives and I ended up getting transferred um, and, and delivering him in Anschutz, which is a great facility. And I still had really great hair, I had wonderful hair. Uh, but it's just, I had this vision 
which like, I was like, oh, we were supposed to have this bath with the tea and the herbs, which I did not get, you know, I was at a hospital and that's just a very different experience. Um, and so the first few months, so again, part of my, that planning journey, I had read this book, the first 40 days, and it really talked about creating, uh, being very intentional about your recovery postpartum and not doing much and really having a support network of people to support you. And I had done some of it, but what I had not put into place, because while I preach this to my clients, it's a lesson I'm always learning, which is to lean in and ask for help. So I didn't, hadn't really done that. I had some support with my husband and um, my mom, but they ended up having to leave sooner than I thought. And so out of necessity, because of everything I went through during the birth, I had to reach out. So that was good. That was a good lesson. Like I was reaching out and for the first six weeks, I lined up while I'm postpartum people to come and help me um, with Ronan. Cause I just, I think it would be intense no matter what, but then I also had medical complications. And so um, that was really new for me because I um, really have never been physically I've been physically healthy my whole life and never really, I mean, I hadn't even ever broken a bone or anything. I had a little fraction of my wrist once, but like, I never had ever been very physically limited. Even during pregnancy, I was very active. I mean, I was hiking right up until my son's birth and stand up paddleboarding and such. And so, um, it was really eye opening to be like, I can't do anything. (laughs) I can't, I I just can't do anything. And so much of my self-care is involved in movement. And so what that journey was like was really, and then now I'm also, oh gosh. So not only am I physically in a rough spot, like the most challenging I've ever encountered. I also had a little human that I'm having to take care of. And I was breastfeeding and getting that figured out. Oh, it was so much. It was so overwhelming. Um, And going into, uh, giving birth, I had worked with a counselor on how am I going to deal with being a very independent person who really cherishes their, my sense of freedom. I really cherish a sense of independence to becoming a a full-time caregiver for a period of time. Right. Because until I would say age five, probably like, it's just so intensive your role as a parent. Um, and it's still intensive after age five, but they're a little more independent. And I, so I worked on it a lot, but I didn't know how challenging that struggle would be until I'm in it. And I'm like, I can't do anything physically. This, I one time was sobbing to my husband. Um, I'm just a milk machine. That's all I am. Because that's like how it feels like, right? It feels so, yes, like because you know, I was doing on demand feeding, so it's literally like you know, whenever the baby's hungry, you feed the baby. Um, so you feel this, and you know, they the experts didn't recommend unless you're going back to work and you need to, they don't want you getting them on a bottle too soon because then they'll often prefer that or sometimes prefer the bottle over breast milk, so you have to wait. So for the first, he really didn't take on the bottle till about eight weeks. And even that was a struggle because he's new and he's trying to learn. And I remember being like, I'll never be able to go anywhere. 
because <laughs> it just feels so like every day feels like an entire lifetime. Um, and thank goodness, gosh, a, a silver lining of COVID is I had a lot of friends and family who had more flexible schedules and they were able to come support me. And I just look, look forward to it. Like, even if they couldn't be, you know, a lot of times they couldn't be with me the whole day, but they would come for like two to six hours. I would just be like, oh, thank goodness they're here. And fortunately, my partner, um, because of COVID, was working two days a week from home. So I only had three days where I had to get coverage to have uh, support, which is just such a blessing. And even with that, I was like, gosh, like I'm such a resourced human, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And this is so fucking hard. It's the hardest time of my life as far as everything. Like it's just so intensive and there was no way to really understand it till I was in it. And my son also, besides the intensity of the experience for me, he came into the world with a quite a dysregulated nervous system. Like he was traumatized from the experience, which makes sense. Like his poor little heads being, you know, shoved slammed into my pelvis for 60 60 hours. Like that's not a good time. Uh, And so the two of us are just, you know, a mess and, and we high level of vulnerability for me, low level of sense of independence. Um, So I just leveraged so much of what I had learned over the years that I had like definitely practiced, but I remember one time in this meditation group that I was in us talking about how the value of meditating really doesn't come into play till shit gets real. And I was thinking of that a lot when I was like, shit has gotten real. Like my self-care during those days really consisted of a shower once a day where I just feel like in the shower. And sometimes I could hear my baby um, and gosh, the way it Im- would impact my nervous system, which again, I knew cerebrally that um, the lead parent, uh, their amygdala gets more sensitive um, and their nervous system is more on alert. I knew that, but I hadn't felt it, you know? And so when I was feeling it and I'd be in the shower and I'd hear him crying and I'd be like, I'd be like, let's say you need this. You need to just let the baby's all right. It's with, you know, his parent or whoever. And you need to just like be in this shower and be as present as you can be. And this is your time to fill up um, because the rest of the time is so hectic. And then, you know, I tried to sleep when he slept and I did meditations when I could because physically I was very, very limited. Um, It wasn't until like a month, I think, postpartum that I was even able to do like cat cow for yoga, which is like a pretty limited. I mean, I couldn't do child's pose. I couldn't do a lot of things. And so, um, yeah, I really leaned into those practices that I have served me throughout my life. Oh, I needed them so much more during that period. Yeah. I mean, that's a, thanks for taking us on that journey. That's like a real harrowing tale. And, you know, I'm happy that you and Ronan are safe and it sounds like Mm -hmm. you guys got through it. And I'm hearing like just the kind of like whiplash getting thrown into the deep end, right? Of like, oh shit, 
right? Like your body's messed up, right? Your hormones are all over the place. Right? So you're going, we're dealing with postpartum depression, right? And you have a dependent little thing that is just innocent, right? I mean, like you got to show up for him, right? Like you can't get mm-hmm. mad at him or do any of that. No. Um, so I can't even imagine um, the intensity that you're talking about. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, he's a little human. Everything's new to him. And he just was so hard to soothe, you know, like my mom and, and Scotty's mom and, and our, all our parents are like great with kids and they're like, you know, very, they can soothe other kids. And yet our son was just so hard to soothe. His nervous system was so dysregulated. Um, and thank goodness my friend, um, had purchased this hammock for our son and my partner discovered, I don't know, like a week into us having Ronin that putting Ronin in this hammock, um, and the hammock had a spring on it. Um, so it kind of bounced mm-hmm. and Ronin, you'd put him in the hammock and he had immediately calmed down. Um, and I guess hammocks are used other parts of the world. Uh, actually my, my partner's great aunt is Peruvian. And she said, she remembers her siblings being in hammocks as a, uh, they slept in them. And it was also comforting. And then I have a really good friend that's Indonesian. And she said, she remembers, um, hits be little babies being in hammocks. And so, yeah, it's a tool. It's a, a way that, um, it not only soothes babies, but they also put them in there for sleeping. And it worked so well. Like he would be in the hammock for hours on end. <laughs> We'd take him out and he'd be super upset. And then we'd be like, all right, we'll put him back in the put hammock. Put him back there. That's just where he wants to be. <laughs> he wants to be bouncing around. It's just, um, and he loved to be like really bounced. He's not like a little gentle. Oh, he I wants to be like around. slung. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So we're going to move towards our first commercial break. When we come back, I want to kind of throw on some of the themes that you talked about in this story, right? Like, you know, being really individualistic and having to bring another person into your life. Um, a little bit of working on trust and being like dependent and in some ways probably helpless. You know, I mean, these are things that personally I'm freaking terrified of. So I would love to to dive into these topics and see what that was like for you and how we can help other people do the same. Um, so for those tuning in there, hang on and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, 
A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y dot teachable dot com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. I'm sitting here with Melissa Ryan, and we're talking about pregnancy and being a new parent, but also about trust and about being dependent and, you know, kind of shedding a sense of independence that I think comes in partnership, but also comes, I think more so probably in parenthood, right? Because the dependency is all over the place, right? Like you're dependent, the kid's dependent, the partner's dependent. Um, so I just want to back up a little bit, say a little bit about what you were like before, right? Because you said during your story that you identified as a very independent person. Um, can you paint us a picture of what that looked like and then how that shifted you became a mother? Um, yeah, that's great, Mark. I would say that for the most part, if I wanted to do something, I would do it. I mean, I'd run it by my partner and we're both uh, highly independent, which has shown up in our child. <laughs> it's a compounded effect. Uh, but so we have a I think good communication about that and understanding. Um, and we're, we've over the years, we've been together a long time. I think we're coming up on 13 years. So we've had a long while to kind of figure out um, how much communication we need about each other. And, and if we're doing something, we run it by the other. And there's a lot of space and understanding to really pursue what brings us joy. And we've really figured out a way to connect and meet back and then also do our own thing. And so that rhythm looks like, you know, I've, I've now started two businesses, um, my counseling practice, and then I have, I'm doing speaking and business working with businesses. And then, um, you know, I, we share a lot of activities, but I also like do my own thing. Like I actually really enjoy mountain biking by myself. Um, and I go on hikes by myself and I pursue other interests and I'll go travel. I like to travel by myself. And I also like doing those things with, with my partner. Uh, and so I went from really kind of having a lot of free time and decision, you know, having capacity to make decisions about, oh, what do I want to do today? And I'm going to allocate my time and energy. And what does, you know, the next week look like to my life being keeping this little human alive. And like my number one goal is keeping me or my, I guess my 
top priorities. It was keeping me healthy and like my breast milk going um, and keeping Ronan healthy and uh, alive. So it was like this focus on like these bit, you know, prior to his birth, I'm like, oh, how can I become a better person? How can we contribute to causes that are important to us? How do we pursue these various um, outdoor activities we do to mainly what I just laid out, like, you know, keeping me alive and keeping it alive and then trying to also, um, you know, stay connected with my partner amidst all that. Yeah, so tell that me was a little big bit shift. Of, yeah, tell me about that shift, right? Because I had a smaller version of it moving up this mountain home where like all of a sudden survival became like a need that I didn't, like I, I had it covered, right? But it was all of a sudden like, holy shit, like is our water flowing, right? Like is the house, is the roof going to fall in, right? Like am I able to move out of my home because there's too much snow, right? Like I was starting to worry about survival things and I felt like a survival fear that, I don't think I ever had. I mean, I think my parents did a good job of making sure I never really felt that. Um, and it sounds like you had a very similar experience where like all of a sudden it's just back to basics, right? Like, do you have milk? Can the baby eat milk? Exactly. Right? That's it. That's it. And so then when there's hiccups with that, it it would bring on a level of stress that I didn't have before. Like I recall we took Ronan to Moab when he was like eight weeks old. And we have a camper and we had him in his little bassinet, like not too far from our bed. And it dropped below 30 degrees and I could not sleep the whole night, which I mean, in part was because Ronan woke me up to eat. But the the other piece of it was that I was worried that he would freeze to death. Like that's the main thing, you know, and that would have never, obviously, if I had no Ronan, I wouldn't. I would have just been sleeping peacefully in my cozy little bed. Uh, and so, yes, the survival of like things that wouldn't have affected me, I'm pretty resilient and adaptive, especially like being uncomfortable and in the outdoors. And we've spent a lot of time in the back country so I can troubleshoot. And that has helped as far as I, I, I could see my anxiety getting or anxiety really getting out of control if I didn't have those experiences for me to like reflect on and be like, Oh, this is okay. And try to keep that anxiety in check. And it's like so much more heightened of like, is he okay? And, you know, is he staying warm, but not too warm because if he's too hot, then the chances of SIDS go up and like all, all these scenarios. And then, you know, when I would have a question, I was so grateful to have a doula uh, through the process and then postpartum and the midwives I worked with, because I would ask them questions like, um, cause you can Google things and then you get a whole bunch of information and you have to try to sort through like what's actually evidence-based and real. And that's exhausting. And a lot of times I didn't have time or capacity to do that. So that was really helpful. Um, and the vulnerability that you're talking about and the dependence, I really felt that when I physically needed help, like I physically needed help when it came to caring for myself and for Ronan and oh, that was growth opportunity <laughs> because it felt super uncomfortable. And I'm like, I'm an independent, you know, it challenged my view of myself um, of like, I'm an independent person. And I know Brene Brown says we need people, but come on, 
but not, but not me, right? <laughs> She's not talking and to me. Yeah. She wasn't, she didn't mean me. Uh, to like, I'm going to lean in and trust. Uh, and this especially was at play. Something I was mindful of prior to Ronan being born was I really wanted to empower my partner to feel like I saw him as an equal in this journey of parenthood. Because even though biologically I was going to play a different role in theory, because I mean, I don't, you don't know if you can breastfeed till the baby's here, but mm-hmm. I thought it, you know, if I'm breastfeeding and even if I'm not, like I was going to be the lead parent a lot of the time because of our work schedules. And so I, I, I really had to work with, and it was quite challenging. Um, those first, I would say that fourth trimester, which is the first three months postpartum. It it was at times very hard to trust my partner, not because of anything he was really doing, but my nervous system would be like, baby's crying, fix it. (laughs) And, and at some point, I don't remember when I realized like, well, Melissa, you've had time to try out different ways of relating to your son and figuring out what works for you. And you have way more time than your partner. And he's got to have his own process and learning what works for him and what doesn't. And you can't just immediately intervene and be like, well, this is how he likes it. You know, like, because he, it's just, I think takes away from the learning process. And I noticed that it has the potential to really reduce his confidence as a parent. And then feeling like, well, I can't do it right. Or, you know, she's already stepping in or it feels like a criticism. And then he, he resents and pulls away, which is what I've seen happen in the couples I've worked with. And I didn't want that for us. Like I wanted to learn from what I've witnessed. Yeah, that's a really interesting pattern, right? I see a plan in my relationship. You know, I'm the intervener for sure, right? Where it's like, and I think it's true in a lot of relationships where, you know, I have a lot of skill in, I don't know, house repairs or cooking or things that my partner hasn't spent that amount of time in, right? And like, I need to like leave the room, right? Because, and just like, let her make mistakes and let her figure it out because the more I try, and I think I'm helping, but I'm not helping. The more I try to like help, the more it just like builds shame in her. Um, so I'm hearing it's a very similar thing in parenters where like, you're like, oh no, do it this way. Like, we already we already figured this out. Everyone already knows this. Like, just get on the you know, <laughs> let's read the memo, right? And like, you'll be up to date. Yes, and then it's like, well, that reduces his confidence, and it's such a good skill. It's such a good reminder for parenthood in terms of with Ronan, right? He's going to try and make mistakes, and if I just intervene, I'm interrupting that learning process and potentially communicating, oh, I don't believe you can do this, which is not what I want to communicate to him, nor do I want to communicate that to my partner. And, you know, I was realizing, really feeling a lot of empathy for the current generation of men stepping into fatherhood, because according to Gottman's research, you know, they are participating more than any generation before um, in terms of household, in terms of parenthood. And I was just reflecting on what it's like to step into an environment where your peers before you haven't really been. And they, I've been doing lots of talks recently on an imposter syndrome 
and how it would make sense to me. And I've heard this from men, a sense of imposter syndrome. Like I don't belong in that space. How do I trust myself? Uh, and so then if you're getting feedback from your spouse, like me, who's like, Hey, you should really do it this way. Or, you know, you can make it so much easier on yourself and the baby. If you tried this strategy, that's not going to help with imposter syndrome. Yeah, totally. Right. And I work with a lot of men and I think the question is huge. And I think like, but I've worked with some of my guys that in this process, a lot of anger and resentment come up right at their own fathers for not being there. Right. Of like, Oh, I see what this is like, or maybe they're like, I have these feelings towards my kids. So I can't imagine why my dad would do X, Y, and Z. If he felt the same way I feel towards my child. I think it kind of is like this snap that like puts a lot of things in perspective, you know, um, so much we're talking about of giving birth. I think of course, having a kid, it's like, Whoa, look at these feelings, right? These feelings that I think some people would say you can't really access until you've had a child because it is such like a, like, you know, we were talking about, like it's such a biological, you know, for some people, spiritual, like very emotional, like initiation coming of age type of thing. Right. I mean, it is like, so it's probably the biggest marker we have of going from childhood to adulthood. Right. It's like raising another human. Right. It, it just like, I mean, I can't, I don't have words for it. It's like unbelievably just like embedded in our biology and in culture. Do you connect to any of that? Like, what's it like kind of being on the other side of that kind of ritual or initiation, you know? Yeah, it's so huge. And there's no transition, Mark. You're just like, I'm pregnant. Now I have a baby. (laughs) You know, my transition was the 60 hours leading up to uh, my son's birth. 60 hours of pain, right? (laughs) Yeah, real intensity. Oh, That experience, though, really shows the power of the mind because I took a hypnobirthing class, which I would recommend to all pregnant folks out there, because it just really helps you reframe the pregnancy experience and the giving birth experience in particular in that reframing, um, they have a cycle called the fear, tension, pain cycle. So they noticed that like when folks in labor are experiencing more fear, there's more tension, when there's more tension, there's more pain, and it just starts this cycle. And so uh, one of the ways to circumvent that is to to really lean in and trust, like my body knows what to do. I have a support team. And so that whole time, um, and they also, you don't call it pain, you call it, you rename it sensation. So the whole time when I was in labor, I was explaining it in terms of a level of sensation, Uh, and that, that mind shift is so huge because I was able to withstand the duration of that labor in a part because of that reframe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of not putting a negative label on it or or how did that help you? Yeah. Yeah. And not only, and, and being like, okay, people give birth all around the world and my body's designed to do this. And I have great people in around me that I can trust. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to release control, which can be challenging because humans like to control things. I'm no different, you know? And so how can I trust the process um, and be relaxed? And for the most part, most of that time, I was able to be there. And when I wasn't, I had my support team to help me recenter and recalibrate. Uh, And I recognized the mental fortitude that I didn't really know I had till I was like in that situation. And I used every single 
visualization grounding technique I've ever learned. And it was very helpful. And, and that reframing of sensation. And I still use that now. Like when I, um, I recently jammed my thumb, which I've never done before. And it really hurt when I was mountain biking. And I just described it as sensation. And it just, there's something about that reframing and describing the sensation that reduces the charge of it. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of back to the, the initiation piece. I like that because oh, like yeah. you're using like all the tools that you've built over your whole life up until this point, right? And it's like, okay, we got to use what I learned in the backcountry. We got to use what I've learned from my meditation practice, what I've learned from therapy, what I've learned from all the books that I've read and the courses that you've done, right? Like you, it sounds like it was like all hands on deck, all the people in your life, right? All the connections that you've spent decades building. It's like, yes. and it sounds like everything really came into this, um, into the pregnancy moment and into, you know, early childhood, right? Yes. And that, that transformation and, uh, I, another thing I utilized when I was in the thick of things and just in survival mode is I had imagine myself a year out what I'd be telling myself in this survival stage. And that usually also grounded me of like, mm-hmm. Hey, it's just a phase you have support you are resourced, uh, you live in a time with so many access, you so much access to medical care. And I'm extremely privileged uh, and extremely resourced. And so leaning into that and allowing myself to utilize that. And I think overall that transformation is continuing to happen (laughs) as I settle into parenthood. And as I moved out of survival, really just trying to enjoy the process. And I, in general, am able to be more present than I can recall in the past, really paying attention to, you know, I remind myself daily, like my son's not going to be in this phase. There's going to be a period where he's not going to want to cuddle with me. And, you know, that will likely be developmentally appropriate and it will be sad. (laughs) So how can I really soak in and savor and cherish? And uh, something I said to my partner before Ronan was born was I noticed again with my clients, this tendency, and this is a human tendency to get caught up in the task and kind of lose sight of the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just checking off, like, we got to get the kid, you know, get the kids up. We feed them breakfast. We, you know, it's just this, this whole spin of tasks, but they're not really present for it. And I can see why that happens. Cause I don't know, as a baby, I just felt like I was always doing like when he was an infant, you know, he would eat something they never told me, <laughs> obviously said about is they would say, they would say like, oh, the baby feeds every two to three hours. What they never shared was that is at the start of the feeding. So if the feeding takes 45 minutes to an hour, which it can when the baby's first learning, you only have like an hour until the next feeding. Until he's ready again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, never just, I didn't get that. We got to move to our final commercial break. When we come back, okay. I think it'll be helpful to talk to listeners, sharing some of these things, sharing some tips, sharing things that were helpful for you, resources, anything to help people that are looking at going through this journey. So for those listeners, hang on in there. We'll see you on the other side. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. In this final segment, we'd like to talk directly to you, the listener. Um, Melissa, what tips or tricks or resources you have for people that are about to go through this incredible journey? I know you mentioned um, like hypnotherapy or hypnopregnancy before. Um, what are some other things that you would recommend for people? Yeah. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. The hypnobirthing, so helpful. Um, there's classes. I think there are classes online. There's classes you can take in person typically in person, wherever you're at. Um, if you're in the lower 48, I don't know about outside that. Um, but there's online sources too. And there's a book. So you could always start there. Uh, and then 
Also, I really thought the first 40 days is the title of another book that really speaks to postpartum and the postpartum journey. And there's really great tips in that, including like how to set boundaries, how to be protective of your energy, um, and really being able to check in with yourself. Like for myself, uh, I was like, I don't want to see anyone for the first few days. Like I just, and my partner was in agreement and we just really wanted to establish time with our son and integrating that. And some people, they don't feel that way at all. They really want their family to be a part of it. And often their their family is participating in the labor. So just really checking in with yourself. And there's some really good tips in that book of how to set boundaries. Um, some fun ones. Uh, we had an app that compared where your baby was at to animals. I loved that. It was like a pregnancy <laughs> app. And it'd be like, Today, your baby is the size of a fox. And then you have little facts. That's just fun. I don't know if that's necessarily helping with emotional, mental health, but it feels good. Um, I Expecting Better is a book that I often recommend to clients. Emily Oster is the author. She's a health economist. She became pregnant and realized there's not like a, a lot of comprehensive data about pregnancy and birth and also just conception. So she has a series of books that's really about evidence-based research. Uh, so I recommend that to clients to just get clarity about that experience and some of the myths around, should you drink coffee or not? Should you eat sushi or not? Um, just various things. I recommend for everyone, uh, particularly if you haven't been through the pregnancy journey to get a doula. I think they're incredible. They're with you in terms of that continuum of care. So that in, um, you know, from when I went into labor, my doula came in and out according to my needs. And then she was there with me at the birth center. She was there when I transferred, which is so nice because particularly if you're at a hospital, you know, there's, um, they switch, you switch nurses, right? The shift changes. And so that doula is a support. And what really sold me about a doula is we watched this doula documentary and it talked about how the doula also allows for the partner to have his or her or their own experience with, with the birth process, because they don't have to be totally in that role of coach and support. You have somebody that's there that can be an advocate, kind of like a counselor in a lot of ways, like, right. They don't have skin in the game because they're not a medical professional. They're more like you're you know, like a coach or a companion, you know, right? companion. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the process. Yeah. And then uh, a lot of them offer postpartum follow-ups and postpartum services. So that's so invaluable. Um, as far as my partner and his preparation, he, I was trying to remember, he, he read quite a few articles about um, like, we're very active and how to maintain an outdoor lifestyle with kids. Um, he also like found, and I, this is, I highly recommend for uh, my clients and, and uh, I think this was very helpful for him finding people that he looks up to that are parents and kind of whether he knows, like he has a close relationship or they're like just known as like, you know, um, professional athletes and really like listening in about like on their podcasts and things about what fatherhood is like and, you know, maintaining their sports and 
I think that's really helpful to have mentors that you look up to, especially since like we were talking about the way fathers are showing up is different. And so having people that you can model, if you're like, yeah, you know, there are things about my dad that it was really great. And I want to do something different. It's really helpful to have people that are already on the path that you can model. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, another book that can be really helpful for addressing some of that wounding, which I'm sure is a book you might recommend, Mark, Mark is, um, I don't want to talk about it by Terry Real because he addresses a lot around how men and boys are impacted by patriarchy and how that can impact um, how they grow up. And I think that can be really helpful as far as changing patterns that you might want to address. Um, other resources that I have found to be helpful. Uh, well, I use, <laughs> I follow this couple that had a baby probably like right, I don't know, six months before me, they're a yoga couple. So, um, their channel is boho beautiful. They're kind of like, you know, I don't know, they're hippies. They, they, they're vegan. <laughs> no, they feature yoga, uh, in different places of the world that's very beautiful and they're animal activists and all that great stuff. And they talked about their journey. They have some videos um, that are quite vulnerable about their experience of parenthood. I found that really helpful. I think in general, like, oh, a tool that I have found invaluable. Um, there's this woman, she has an Instagram account. It's called Hey Sleepy Baby. And she talks a lot. She's uh was an elementary school teacher. Now she's this like sleep expert. And she talks a lot about attachment mm -hmm. and sleep, which is invaluable for new parents. <laughs> and she normalizes a lot of things like, you know, it's people are told it's bad to breastfeed your baby to sleep. And she gives all the research and the, and not only the current research, but then looks at it anthropologically. Um, it's yeah, she's been so helpful. I heard about her through a doctor and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I like what you're saying, right? It's like, like find other people that have done it, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether like through any means necessary. And I was feeling like a little bit of, um, I say it's like a little bit of grief and also hope, right? Because I this may take a little bigger of like, I think in our culture, we don't have that naturally. Like we often have to pay somebody or hire somebody or or whatever. Um, and the hope is that also with things like YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all this stuff, like it's also is more accessible than it ever has been. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword here where like you, people can build these, you know, collections of mentors um, virtually, you know, and that's a big thing I did when I was, you know, early on in figuring out my masculinity and figuring out what it meant to be a man. I just like got a lot out of books and, and um, YouTube and podcasts and all this stuff. Right. Um, but I had to, I had to seek it out. So maybe I'm just feeling a little bit of that, of like having to really seek it out and find people um, that you respect. Right. And that are, and that are open about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And vulnerable and can model. Like, I really like Glennon Doyle. She talks a lot about parenting and Brene Brown. So, and then within the context of my friends and um, again, leaning into my care team, like another big part of my journey is I saw this woman for prenatal massage and she also does postpartum and pelvic floor work. And that's been invaluable. Uh, and so it's, it's, opening yourself up to be vulnerable enough to receive that support and to trust the process. Um, talk to other parents. You know, I had this <laughs> colleague of ours that's um, sent me a quote. Her name's Lana Isaacson. 
I think you might know her, Mark. Do you know her? Yeah. Um, yeah. She sent me this quote when I, she was asking me how things were going and it was, she said it was on a t-shirt. It said motherhood quickest path to enlightenment. Yeah. And I feel like that's true. (laughs) You know, like, gosh, yeah. What an intense experience. So yeah, just finding people that you feel like are supporting you. There can be so judge, so much judgment in this space of parenthood Mm -hmm. um, and pregnancy. And so I often encourage my clients to just like listen internally to what feels supportive, what you listen in your body. If you feel open and spacious and relaxed, that's usually a good sign that whatever you're receiving is good for you. I think that that's really good to use kind of like the body and the sensation as a compass, because Mm -hmm. like you said, everybody has an opinion, right? And everybody thinks that their opinion is absolutely correct. So it's like the need for flexibility, need to kind of develop an internal compass too. Yes. And to recognize that you and your partner and your baby are all different. From, like I, I was just talking about how we're very similar, which is true. We can learn from each other and there are themes and what works for you and your family is different than what might work for another family. And what works for one baby often does not work for that baby. And so just really trying to be open and receptive to, to attuning, attuning to my baby and me and our relationship and it's a dance and there's rupture and repair all the time (laughs) and and trusting that process right that's what builds trust and secure attachment is leaning into that right oh we're we're there uh we we've reached our time but i like that you end on that point right of like that rupture and repair and coming back right like there's going to be missteps but it is getting back um so melissa yeah thank you so much for being on the show you know people know where they can find you they want to learn more about you Yes. So uh, my counseling practice is cambiumcounseling.com. And then as I mentioned before, what I'm stepping into is really bringing relational skills uh, to businesses. And so my new business is The Send, um, T-H-E-S-C-E-N-D.org, if you want to check me out there. Um, And this has been such a pleasure. This is great. Well, I'm sure we'll have you on and we'll see uh, kind of how your story develops and what more wisdom you have to share with our listeners. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode and we'll see you next week on another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet Triumph and Defeat and treat those two imposters the same.